Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, where we have left off a month ago because of Advent, and Advent meaning the coming of Christmas time for four Sundays. We departed from our regular study through 1 Peter, and so now we're back. Put your finger there, I'll eventually get there, promise. Well, as we say goodbye to 2011 and welcome a new year, even today, it seems fitting that we are winding up our study in 1 Peter. We're, we'll finish chapter 5 uh, this morning, Lord willing, and we're beginning next Sunday a new book, same author, 2 Peter. And so it's been a wonderful journey invaluable insights to the book of 1 Peter. Many of you have said it's your favorite book in the New Testament. Um, I can think of no better study, more vital message to reflect upon for the start of a new year than the truths that are found in 1 Peter, not only 1 Peter as a whole, but especially in chapter 5, which we're going to take a look at this morning. So first, a quick look Back, like we do at the end of the year, we look back a little bit for context, and then we're going to look forward to chapter five and finish that uh, this morning. Now, chapter one. Chapter one gave us really the thesis statement for the whole book. It told us what it's about. First Peter is a book written to people who don't fit in the world anymore because of the work of Christ in their life. They've been changed. They've come to faith. And things are very different. And really, it's a book addressed to, right there in the opening chapter, to the nickname was Parapetamos. In the Greek, it means strangers. And he says, greetings, strangers. And now we know what the whole book is about. Misfits, foreigners, because those who lived to whom the letter was addressed in modern-day Turkey were not foreigners, literally. They had grown up there, some of them three generations, living in Turkey, and they get this letter, and they're called foreigners because, figuratively speaking, all Christians are foreigners in this world, and we are to regard ourselves as such. Misfits that don't belong anymore. The holidays are over, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has been shown, and the favorite scene of the island of misfit toys. I don't know if you recall that song. I'm not going to sing it, but Amanda will be singing it later. <laughs> Why are we misfits? Well, he says in the opening verses, God has chosen you, and you have chosen him. He has set you apart by the work of the Holy Spirit. He has reached down and taken you and sanctified you, which the word means to separate you, out. If you want to blame anybody, really, the fault in this wonderful sense of the word belongs to God. It says there in his great mercy, he's given you new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just when you die will you be resurrected, but for the Christian, when you open your heart, the Holy Spirit comes in and you start to have a resurrected new life, 
called being born again, or same phrase, to be born from above. And that is the problem. It's a very wonderful privilege to be born again, but right on the heels of all this good news comes the bad news that new life in Christ is contrary to the way of the unbelieving world, and it causes trouble and stirs up hostility. The verse says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief with all kinds of trouble. Sitting with somebody over the Christmas break, was having surgery, and their extended family was there, and one of the women is a Christian woman who is an Iranian, and she uh, speaks with a very heavy accent, and it was fascinating to talk to her about coming to America, how she got here, how she received Christ. She attends a Calvary Chapel in the East Bay, and she said she had returned to Iran last year, and her brother said, whatever you do, do not open your mouth, or you will jeopardize us and your own life. You can come here, come and visit, but you cannot open your mouth about your Christian faith. And then she smiled. She put up her hands and she said, but of course, I cannot follow that advice. You see, the temptation for these Christians was to modify the message that is causing the discomfort to change the behavior that's bringing the inconvenience. But Peter will say in this book, no can do. We cannot do that. We must be who we are. We have been transformed. We have encountered God. We have been born again. We are who we are, period. And whether the world likes it or applauds or wants to have us guillotined, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the, the message of the truth that we've encountered him and we must be who we are and obey him and not act in accordance to fear. And so really, uh, the question of the day was, how do I live as a Christian when opening my mouth or living out my faith can cause me to lose my job, offend my family, get me in trouble, and get me, or get me killed? How do I do that? So chapters two and three, now in review, um, say... Keep a heavenly perspective. Remember who you are, the truth and reality of what happened to you and what he did for you, how Christ invested his own life to set you free. Think about him on the cross. Think about how he was treated to secure your position and your new life. And then the big thing that reoccurs all through 1 Peter is remember the end. Remember the finale. Those who trust in him will triumph, and those who oppose God and us will perish forever. He says, keep that heavenly perspective, and you'll be okay. The key verse in 1 Peter 2, summing up 2 and 3, would be, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. In other words, please don't give in to changing the way you live just because it'll make you a little bit more comfortable, a little more popular, a little less trouble. Can't do that. He says, instead, 
You gotta be who you are. You gotta be good to the bone. Don't let it get to you. Don't stoop to their level. Don't you become bitter. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by being good. So chapters two and three instruct Christian citizens, Christian employers, Christian employees, believing husbands and wives, how to live morally excellent lives to silence those who oppose God and oppose us as well. And then that theme, keeping the heavenly perspective and remembering the finale, those who trust in God triumph, those who oppose God and disobey the gospel perish forever. He said, just keep that right there, and that'll help you through the hard times. And so, finally, in chapter 4 then, which brings us current to go into chapter 5, chapter 4 says, you know, there's something about when you face difficulties, you become more vulnerable to moral compromise. So in other words, when you're getting all this heat for being a Christian and nothing is going your way, the world doesn't like you anymore, you are more inclined to answer that foul calling of your sinful nature. So he says, chapter 4 says, uh, don't even think about it. You can't escape by nurturing yourself, by doing immoral things and disobeying God and unplugging from him because you're in all of this chaos and turmoil. He says, in effect, it will not kill you to tell yourself no to all your passions and your lusts and your desires that every day, quoting him, war against your soul. God says, do this. Your inner self says, no, I want to do that. All day long, he says, you know what, buddy? You will not die from picking up your cross and following. Well, <laughs> you would die if you picked up your cross and followed, and that's kind of the point you die inwardly, to live, to find yourself, you lose yourself. And so that really ends 1 Peter 4 with this verse, verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will, whether it's because of them or because of your own sinfulness, having to tell yourself, no. You know he calls you a foreigner to them and a foreigner in your own body because your own body doesn't get you. Your own body says, oh, me want that. And you have to say, you can shut up because you can't have that. Well, me want it and me want it now, but me not married to it. You have to tell it. So it says, your own body, you're a foreigner in this world. You're, you're a stranger out there because they don't get you. But you want to live for God and all of this stuff and... We don't get you, and your own body doesn't get you. And he says, fine, just remember this. <laughs> Time is short. He's going to appear. Those who trust in him will triumph. Those who oppose him and disobey his word will perish and be destroyed forever. So just keep that little morsel of truth right before you. It's time to dive into chapter 5 and... It's time to say goodbye. Peter saying goodbye to them. He's going to leave them with three uppercuts of truth. All right? First uppercut, verses 1 through 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, 
and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as an overseer, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So first, let's call it an uppercut, you know, an exhortation. You know, when you're closing out, you're saying goodbye. What you say at the end is really most important. So we listen. With those kind of ears, number one, he says, if you guys are going to make it through this hard time, you're going to need some loving leaders, some, some godly shepherds. So number one, he calls out the church leaders. And he says, and he says, this shepherd kind of leadership is very important to assure that the church remains healthy through trying times. Now, this is very important, verses one and two. Bible doesn't talk a lot about church offices and church governing. Uh, and so when it does, you pay special attention. There are three words for church office holders here in this verse, and all three are used synonymously, interchangeably. All right? And so we have term elder, shepherd, or our English word pastor, and overseer which is sometimes called a bishop. Those are three words in your text. Let's talk about who they are first. He says, I appeal to you elders as an elder myself. And so an elder from the word presbyteros, where we get the word presbyterian. Uh, an elder, really, the word just means old, old guy, older guy. That's what it means, technically. But of course, it doesn't just stop there. It's somebody who, through maturity, through walking uh, with the Lord for some amount of time, has developed a place of standing, of spiritual maturity, and is able to govern the church. Therefore, they were called elders. They were recognized by their character and their calling. Now, Christian character, really, and wisdom takes time to ripen. There's no other way to become an elder except through time spent being a Christian, and that is who an elder was. Now, what they do, shepherd God's flock under your care. That word is pastor. Poimen in the Greek is associated with to feed. And we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where God gives pastors to the church to equip Christians to live their faith out in this world. The third word is to, he says, serving as overseers, or the King James has bishops. Uh, the word is episkopos, where we get the word episcopalian. And um, this is really, overseer just means that in the Greek, to watch over. All right, so you've got three offices, all used in the New Testament interchangeably. Now, it can get confusing. Let me just tell you how we've come to it today. Today, the word that surfaces for all of them is really pastor. 
pastor's the most popular in non-Catholic churches. The word pastor uh, really means elder and overseer. Since the, all three words are synonymous, we just picked one. I'm not saying we as a church, but we as uh, an evangelical movement here in the last 100 years, the most popular word is pastor uh, for shepherding, right? And so the senior pastor leads, the team of associate pastors assist. Now we consider all pastors elders. If you are a pastor, you are an elder, but not all elders are actual pastors. In other words, when you talk about an elder board, you're talking, in our case, you're talking about all the pastors who are elders, including any elder who doesn't necessarily pastor. So if there's a godly older man, or doesn't have to be necessarily older, like moi, but <laughs> I'm 52 is old. I, don't know, I just need to tell you. No amening. What is that? We're going to be talking about rebellion very shortly. And, and so we, we, we see that elders don't need to be pastoring to be on the elder board, but all pastors are always elders. That third term, the bishop, the overseer, which 1 Timothy chapter 3 starts with now for the qualifications and that long list of what an elder is, really the word is overseer. See, but since they're used interchangeably, we picked and we call it an elder. Everybody, all churches call them elders, all right? It just, overseer and bishop has dropped out. We don't use the word. It, it, it's swallowed up in two words, pastor and elder. Those are the two most uh, popular words. And minister, which sort of means the same thing. The word in the Greek means servant. That's all. And so pastor, elder, and overseer. Now, what's really important here, the congregation is led by pastor, elders, deacons, who are not mentioned here, but in Acts chapter 6, the only other office, they come alongside to help in uh, more practical ways. And so there you have uh, the church offices per se and now you know really now that that's straight what's really not so important is the church structure of governance as their character and what they do so let's hear about that here's a paraphrase pastors i appeal to you as a pastor myself i saw jesus suffer with my own eyes and i'm invested in this whole thing with you Feed and lead, protect God's sheep under your care, watching over them, not because you got to, but because you are willing, not looking just for a paycheck, but serve them from your heart, not dominating them and controlling their lives, but leading by example. And so I like this motif that the Lord often uses. He calls us sheep. And, you know, it's not very complimentary to call us sheep because sheep aren't known for their, shall we say, intelligence. Um, Philip Keller on sheep and shepherding. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. 
most animals are equipped with a very good GPS system. You drop, you know, a cat can find its way back, I don't know, many miles. And dogs as well. Not the dog we had, Wally. <laughs> no, 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 no. An overweight golden retriever just walked around the house going, where do I go? <laughs> Once he got out, it was, you know, a phone call. We've got your dog in our backyard. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, most dogs are smart. But sheep, if a sheep gets disoriented, they cannot find their way back. So God in his wisdom provides God's people who are prone to wander uh, a shepherd. And, and they are called under shepherds because Jesus really is the shepherd. And so, you know, he gives them four things. He says, listen, pastors, number one, you need the right focus. Be shepherds of God's flock. The word, of course, pastor, to feed. Number one, how do we know that that's the number one job of a pastor? Jesus, John 21, Peter, you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, second time, yes, I really do. Feed my lambs, feed, feed, feed. Third time, Peter's grieved. He says, Peter, do you even like me? Do you love me? Come on. And he says, yes, I do. And he says, then prove your love for me by taking the word of God and feeding my people. That's your number one job. So number one, pastor, shepherd God's people under your care. That is the pulpit is dispensing the word of God, not stealing someone else's sermons, not going online on Saturday night and seeing what you can get from somebody else's hard work, which I know happens. No throwing something together without a lot of prayer. Not a lot of talking without the text. Open the Bible, speak from the Bible. Man shall not live by food alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. This is the source of the sheep's healing. If any sheep gets lost, you know, thy word is a light unto their hooves and a lamp unto their path. I mean, it cleanses us. It keeps sheep well-nourished and good health. It prevents nasty diseases like rabies. It heals wounds and injuries. It helps them stay in the safety of the pen from wandering. It keeps them safe and clean it at rest. It helps them always find the way home. The pulpit's not for politics. The pulpit's not about getting up and taking a book of the uh, five, um, you know, the, the church, the five driven, the driven, the purpose-driven life. Getting into the pulpit, which was happening here in Sonoma County, and opening up to chapter one. The word of God. Not a bunch of your ideas or your favorite topics over and over again until the sheep are pulling out their wool out of their <laughs> hair. 
Please, no more. Everybody, how many times can we hear the same altar call uh, sermon over and over again? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Amen? Amen. You could just say, amen. (laughs) All right, number two. Have a good attitude. (laughs) Nor do we want to tell people, oh, let me tell you how to get rich and stay out of trouble. That grain is rotted, my friend. That's not going to feed anybody. Or let me not offend anybody here. Let me just change the grain recipe and formula. So you'll all come back for more. The problem is you'll chow it down, but you're going to get some nasty disease. So anyway, I kind of move on. Number two is have a right attitude. He says, watch over God's people, not because you gotta, but because you wanna. Here's a quote here. Pastoring a first century church is not an easy task. Just take a look at Corinth, Philippi, Galatia. Pastors working day and night, having to deal with financial issues, immature and ungrateful believers, troublemakers, slanderers, fault finders, gossips, people causing division, openly sinning, others spreading false teaching. Add to this the legitimate needs, hurting people who need comfort, struggling people who need counsel, sick people who need tending to. Peter's exhorting the pastors not to lose the joy of serving in ministry, though it comes at a high emotional cost, as it does with most caregivers. It's the greatest privilege, however, in the entire kingdom for God to entrust a man with the care of eternal souls for whom Christ died. Pastor, do not get burned out. Remember the privilege. Get yourself before the Lord again. Yes, it can be draining. Yes, it can be thankless. Yes, you're on 24-7. But God has picked you and said, I trust you. I'm going to put you up there and open up the book, and people are going to look to you as they would look to me. Let that stir your heart and the reward of seeing a life ransomed from death and darkness to see marriages straightened out and kids on the right path and and drunks becoming sober and sexually immoral people becoming self-controlled. Take a look at that so you don't lose heart because I know a lot of pastors who get stuck and that's what he's saying. You're stuck. I got to now. I don't really want to be here anymore. I'm tired of it. I heard a guy say out loud, I'm tired of God's people. I'm selling life insurance. That's what he said. I'm tired. And he says, hey, don't lose heart. It's not about you got to be there. Think of the privilege. Put yourself right before God again. Thirdly, he says, have the right motivation, not greedy for money. So pastors were being paid right from the start 
1 Corinthians 9.14, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So right away, where you start paying somebody to do ministry, you start having abuse, and you have the abuse right there. One of the qualifications for an overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3 was not greedy for money. So these guys were imposters slipping in, seeing widows and using their gifts and abilities to get personal financial gain. Uh, and 2,000 years later, just turn on the TV. Uh, not all of them, but you're smart enough to figure out who's in it for the money. You just send $2,000, and God will do this for you. Sorry, I'm going to start getting the voice. <laughs> And I don't want to do that, but I'm telling you what, we had a guy come here just two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, and said, I'm in this problem with this guy who's writing me for more and more tithe and seed money because he's praying for me. And I started sending the money, and I'm, I'm kind of stuck. And he's asking, he's telling me God isn't going to bless me anymore. And he's talking to Pastor Adam and then to me in the lobby. And he says, listen. Here's my money. I, I would come here. We said to him, we are not interested in your money. Put your checkbook away. God is interested in you first. Put your checkbook away, please. Amen? Go ahead. You know you want to. On Judgment Day, make sure you have a good pair of sunglasses. Because they're going to be a firestorm with guys who got up here and melt people out of money, falsely representing the God of glory. Duck. Look the other way. Because they're going to be a big pow-pow. <laughs> That's a theological term for <laughs> judgment. <laughs> All right, moving on, number four. Have the right spirit, he says. Guys, not lording it over people. He uses the word, not playing God. You put a guy on a platform and watch out. He's got a gift and a calling. And he says, you not, do not be like the world. They get a little recognition. They enjoy bossing people around, lording it over. Listen, the chief shepherd is your spiritual head, not me. I am an underling. I am an under-shepherd, and the five guys who serve with me and the five elders and the five deacons, we're not getting in the way. We're not telling you which toothpaste to buy. We're not going to tell you, is it okay for you to sell your guitar or not? I read on this blog, some girl said, oh, I'll sell this guitar, but i got to ask my pastor first because we always check in with every little thing. That's the wrong kind of shepherding. I like to ask people questions. If you come to me with a dilemma, I want to start asking you, well, what does the Bible say? And what do you think the Lord is saying to you? And how will this help your family? And what will this effect have on your children? And you need to come to your own conclusion with the help of the Holy Spirit. The pastor's not to, to boss around people and tell you, well, you need to do this. And 
I just heard this. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. I just heard this. Somebody went to a pastor who came to me and didn't tell me who it was. It just said, listen, my wife and I want to move to Oregon. My pastor said it won't be blessed because he didn't feel that I was leaving for the right reasons. I said, excuse me? Don't tell me who it is because then I'll have a fallout with that pastor. God owns the sheep. He's the shepherd. If you want to move someplace that doesn't say, thou shalt not go to Oregon in here. Amen? I slammed it harder than I meant to. I'm not really that. It just sounded worse than it really is. It won't be blessed because I control where you're going to live and the job you take and the girl you're going to marry. That is sick and wrong. And God help them on the day when they have to stand before and say, you know, God said, I wanted you to guide them. I didn't want you to step in between me and them. I am the great shepherd. You are just kind of helping me. Amen? And so that's what he's saying there. All right. Now, right focus, right attitude, right motivation, right spirit. These kind of behaviors will bring to the pastor's Elders, overseers, spiritually mature people, uh, a crown of glory that will never fade. He says, listen, it'll be worth it when you see him because you are going to have a reward. The good news, of course, is for everybody who's faithful. Now there is in store for me, Paul, the pastor says, a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That would be you. Same crown for faithful service to Christ. Well, we gotta, I can't spend as much time on the rest of the chapter, but let's do five through seven. Second uppercut, uh, a call for a humble congregation. Loving shepherds, and now number two, humble congregation. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a quote from Proverbs chapter 3 there. Uh, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, so having addressed the elders, right? He's using a term that doesn't really mean now younger men. It means younger in church standing, i.e. everybody else. And in the next breath, he says, all of you. And so you see his thoughts have now turned to the congregation. He's dealt with the proud pastor heart. And now he's saying, congregation, in like manner, you need humility as well. Because what a great combination. Godly, loving shepherds doing it God's way with humble congregation. It is just a winning combination. And so with genuine God-fearing leaders in in, um, place, Peter calls for a general willingness to support the elder's direction, a mutual sensitivity of cooperation and trust. So as God has ordered all of society with the servant delegated authority flow in as a citizen in the world, as husband and wives, and in the church. He says, let there be a mutual 
deference shown to one another and respect. He says, be clothed with humility, which is a very popular way of talking about Christians and character qualities. He says, put them on. And when he says get dressed with humility, he's saying he's using a term that means to tie on as an apron to a slave before they would do their work. And so he's saying take humility, the quality of being modest, of, of not being presumptuous, of, of, of being out of sight and out of mind and being low-minded, tie that intentionally as a part of who you are. And it's one thing about wearing something, it's noticeable to everybody. And so you're wearing this humility. Humility is not just something that Peter's talking about. Over and over in the scriptures, Paul saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Think about that. That everybody you meet and everybody in this place, you, he's, the Bible's saying to you, could you please have this attitude? Everybody in the whole place is better than you. Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says that's a good attitude to have. Romans 12, verse 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. The exhortation not to think more of yourself than you should means that we have trouble doing that, that we think more of ourselves than we should. Here's a definition of what being uh, humble or having humility is. Having a low-to-the-ground, not-puffed-up opinion of yourself, a deep sense of unworthiness before God, a humble recognition of your moral flaws and weaknesses, your complete sinfulness and helplessness before God, your only hope. A Puritan father of the church has a wonderful quote that says, I would rather be strangled and dumped in a swamp than for anybody to be able to see into my heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, for the heart is deceitful above all things. Who could understand it and beyond all cure? Jesus said, I know what's in your heart. Matthew 15, sexual immorality, theft, murder, lying. He says, that's what's in all of you in some form. Humility is not asking you to think lower than you really are. It's asking you in honesty to accept who you really are. That's what humility is. And if you have a problem because you say, well, I'm not really like that, well, God will show you the truth of the matter. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that is exactly why that verse is staring you right in the face right after he said, clothe yourself with humility because nobody wants to do that. Everybody wants to walk in and have the oohs and ahs about them. And he says, that isn't who you are. Paul the apostle 
greatest Christian who ever walked the face of the earth, in my estimation. He said, I know, Romans chapter 7, I know that not one good thing dwells in this heart except the Holy Spirit. If Paul the Apostle can say, what a wretch, what a loser, what a morally bankrupt, death-infested leper that I am, then I can say, hey, you know what? I can be humble and receive the truth apart from God I am a zero. I am worse than zero. I had a name place in hell. That's what I deserve. Then now we can all kind of just step down from our little ladders, wanting everybody to just esteem us highly and look to us with praise. He says, really, come on. Acknowledge the truth. Christ Jesus came for sinners. It's okay to be broken. We're all broken. We're all deeply, deeply, disturbingly depraved in this room. Some more than others. <laughs> you know what? We all cost the same. Jesus' blood. No, not one righteous. No, not one. So quit acting like you are when you're not. And then you could be humble. He says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Here's the promise. God will lift you up in due time. Accept your painful circumstances. Now humble yourself under God's hand, and in due time, he will exalt you. And the last point here, you've got loving shepherds, godly leadership. You've got a humble congregation where everybody is considering others better than themselves and walking around without their own agendas Thirdly, he says, vigilant Christians, mindful of the devil's schemes. All right, let's finish the chapter, 8 through 11, and then we'll leave the greeting there. Uh, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And the God of grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself, four verbs, restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. It's to him be the power, not to Rome, not to any power that's come against you, but it all belongs to him. So with these words, Peter finishes his letter with a sobering heads up. You may have good leaders in place, good shepherds leading the way in love. You may be the humblest congregation in town, serving one another, deferring to one another. But that won't stop the devil from trying. So better keep your spiritual eyes peeled. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy you have an enemy unseen to you, the Bible says, heads up, pulls back the curtain of eternal and spiritual things and says, there's somebody who wants to destroy you. Prowling to and fro by his own admission in Job chapter 1, where have you been prowling up and down the corridors of your earth? We just didn't, he just didn't finish the sentence there. 
looking for someone to devour. The word in the Greek means to swallow whole. The same word used with the Egyptians being covered over with the sea closes in around them. The same word used for the whale that swallows up Jonah, looking to devour you 100%. He's got you in the scope. He calls him out. He says, you better be alert and serious. You better, you know, enjoy the Lord. <laughs> be self-controlled and alert, but you got to keep a spiritual eye peeled. Is the enemy around working in any way? You better think of that every day. You know, we want balance when we talk about the devil. <laughs> we we, we want to be alert, but we don't want to be obsessed. We want just the middle road. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to talk about the Lord. I'm going to love him. But I'm also not going to forget that I have an enemy and I have to be careful. And he says, be careful to be, 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 be alert. Not being alert, you will become vulnerable. I was watching Animal Planet, as I like to do. And there was this show about crocodiles. And they come up to the edge. And they got just two little eyes coming out of the water. And that's all they need. Two little eyeballs, nothing else moving. Do you see? Sometimes you don't even see the two little eyeballs. And then comes in the gazelles. <laughs> da 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 da. You go up thirsty today. Da 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 da. Just like you know, whistling Dixie. Just no problem at all. The little ones especially. Oh, there's water. <laughs> and then the eyeballs. <laughs> and the next thing you know, in a split second, there's the sound of crashing water and just bare teeth because somebody wasn't paying attention. He does not come to you with a sign that says, hey, yo, I'm the devil. I'm going to try to kill you, destroy. I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes subtly as a serpent. You don't even see him. Then boom. And I wonder where he's coiled this morning. I am responsible for four to 500 of you. I wonder where the coiled serpent is right now. And if you're like the gazelle, da -da, da -da. oh, New Year's Day, da -da, da -da. nothing, nothing, nothing. Not watching, watch. Careful your marriages, your kids, teenagers, what you're watching, what you're listening to, where is he working? Heads up, he says, like a roaring lion. You know, David Guzik says, Satan is a lion who may roar, but he's been defanged at the cross, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Yet the sound of his roar, his deceptive lies are still potent, and he has the power to devour souls and rob Christians of effectiveness, so be careful. The word resist him comes from two Greek words, which means stand against 
Peter tells us to stand against the devil. Satan can be set running by the resistance of the lowliest believer who comes in the authority of what Jesus did on the cross. Striking to me that he just says resist him. The power of the devil, he just says resist him. Doesn't say how, just says resist him. And I started thinking, you know why he doesn't say how? Because it's obvious. We know how to resist. Think about your relationship with God. How do you resist him? And we all do. Well, how do you do that? I'm asking you to think, how do you resist God? And just invert that and do it toward the devil. The way we do it, when I resist, I pretend I don't hear anything. I play dumb. I play like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't hear anything. Nor do I want to be around somebody who might bring that to my attention. And so we resist, quite frankly, the same way. <laughs> Ignore him. Say no. Do not obey. Resist. And he says, that's enough, and God will do the rest. Use the power of the word of God through prayer, through reading your Bible, through serving the Lord. Those things are enough just to steady as she goes and you will resist him. And then the final four verbs, he says, listen, God's going to A, restore you, B, strengthen you, C, empower you, and D, secure you. And that is really the eternal perspective for all Christians is to be looking that God will intervene and God will restore to set things right. He will strengthen, he will empower, and he will secure how did it go for Jesus? He went from despised to glory. He went from the cross to a throne. He went from dishonor to honor. He went from humility to glory. And this, my friend, the conclusion of the matter, as Christ was weak, and then exalted, so we, his followers, that there's a great reversal coming. And now the reversal has started for him, but is already not yet for us. And one day, we will go from powerless in this world to powerful. We will go from being despised to sitting on thrones, reigning and ruling with our Lord. So Peter's just saying, please hold on. We're in the end days. Christ has come. It's the end of time. We're on borrowed time. It's just a matter of a few moments before God writes it all, establishes you, strengthens you, and vindicates you for eternity because those who trust in the Lord will triumph. Those who will oppose God and disobey his word, will perish forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of 1 Peter, all the truths. Help us, Father, to take those truths to heart and live for your glory, keeping a heavenly perspective at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song.
like to start the new year off right and ask if there are any here who have not uh, committed their lives to the Lord, would like to do so this morning, you'd like to surrender your heart, receive the gospel, receive Christ as your Savior, give you that opportunity. In a second, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes. And uh, when somebody acknowledges, they just raise their hand, and we, we all say the sinner's prayer. It just kind of helps you get started. We have Bibles and people at the cross waiting to pray with you and help you. Uh, that's really the most important thing is that nobody die without a Savior and then perish. It's the whole point we're here is for you. So if, as we bow our heads and close your eyes, if you feel that tug, you, you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, you want to make peace with him or rather accept the peace he's already made with you, then you just raise your hand and say, you know, I want my sins forgiven. I want to become a Christian today. Today's my day. It'll be easy for me to remember January 1st. And I tell people the rest of my life, I got saved on New Year's Day. Anybody like to do that? Raise your hand nice and high. And we'll pray together. All right, front and center. Amen. And in the back as well. That's awesome. All right, here we go. Two, three brothers coming in to know Jesus today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of saving. I come to you this morning through faith. I ask you to save me now. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. Make me born again. Today I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I'd like to address the Christians. You know, uh, sometimes we skip over you guys. Listen, as Amanda is playing the piano, thank you. <sighs> Cleansing breath. If you'd like to respond, and same thing, we're going to close our eyes and bow our heads, and you just want to say, you know, the Lord really spoke to me this morning about something, and I want to respond. I want to show him, look, I, I heard you loud and clear. This year's going to be different, and I'm going to put my hand up for my pastor, my shepherd, my under-shepherd and say, I need special prayer because I'm making a commitment to respond to the truth the Holy Spirit revealed to me today. That's you, then you slip up your hand and I'm gonna remember you in prayer. Many hands, many hands. Now, Father, I'm lifting my hand as well and we who have raised our hands just for a special touch, we heard your voice. What an awesome thing to hear the voice of the one who spoke the universe into being, that you care enough for us <laughs> to speak privately in a heart. Wow, it's awesome. And our hands are raised because we heard it and we're, we're saying we're, we're making some changes. Scoot closer in compliance to your word, what you reveal to our hearts today. We say yes, Father, yes, all the way, 100%. Have your way in us. Seal that work by your powerful Holy Spirit and let people know, Father, that a raised hand means a lot to you. 
that can change the course of a life. We thank you. Commit all of our hands and all of our feet and all of our lives to you. This church as well. Thank you for the many blessings. You get all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.